Sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Prison Pipeline. I'm Doug McVeigh. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system, addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. We seek to promote awareness and activism in order to foster a safe, healthy, and just society. The Prison Journalism Project provides incarcerated writers with the tools and training to establish themselves as credible journalists. As noted on the PJP website, the prison industry is one of the biggest and least transparent businesses in this country and benefits from the fragmentation of information and news about those who are incarcerated. There is a critical and urgent need to connect the dots between prisons across the country and bring transparency to an opaque industry. Intentional, responsible, and well-crafted journalism from within the incarcerated community can also break stereotypes and ultimately drive change. Joining me via Zoom are the founders and co-executive directors of the Prison Journalism Project, Yukari Kane and Shaheen Pasha. I am Yukari Kane, and I am a co-founder and co-executive director of the Prison Journalism Project. And I am Shaheen Pasha, and I'm the other co-founder and co-executive director of the Prison Journalism Project. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. Now, prepping for today, I've been I've been looking over your website at prisonjournalismproject.org, and it's very impressive. Um, how did the project get started? I mean, it was one of those things that um, I don't think it was. It kind of came out of nowhere for me. I was a reporter for about twenty years, and I was a legal reporter for much of that. But the Prison Journalism Project, as an entity, really emerged when my own. Um, best friend, somebody that I grew up with, somebody that I, I love. He actually was arrested and eventually convicted, and he wound up getting 150 years in prison in New Jersey. And even though I'd been a legal reporter for so long, I never really thought much about what happened to people behind the scenes, what happened after they were convicted. And then this experience with my own friend really sort of opened my eyes to this world, this hidden world that nobody really knew about. And I think really the seed of the Prison Journalism Project emerged from the first time I went to visit him in prison, we were uh, sitting there seeing each other behind this like really dirty plexiglass. And it really occurred to me that the, for the first time in my life, there was not only this distance because of this glass, but it was a complete distance of experience. And he said this thing to me, he said, Shaheen, everybody has a story here, but you'll never hear them. And as a journalist, that hit me like, what do you mean we won't hear them? Why shouldn't we hear those stories? And that was one of the moments where I think really planted a seed in my head that we need to get those stories out. That's part of our jobs as journalists. I really couldn't do much about it at the beginning. You know, I, I went on with my career and eventually I was teaching journalism and I had the opportunity to volunteer in a local county jail and teach journalism. And that was that moment where I actually was able to see people inside come up with these story ideas that were unbelievable that I had never thought of. And I realized, you know what, 
this is something that shouldn't just be done at a small county jail in Massachusetts. This should be a national thing. We should be hearing stories from all around the country. And I was really fortunate. I got a um, a fellowship from, uh, the, I got the Knight Neiman Fellowship at Harvard to do just that. And I was thinking of it as a curriculum. I was like, I'm going to teach journalism. That's what we should be doing, teaching journalism, creating a textbook. And in my process of researching that, everybody kept telling me about San Quentin News, which was the only completely uh, prisoner-run newspaper. And they kept telling me about this amazing advisor named Yukari Kane, who I absolutely had to get to know. I went out in 2018 um, to meet the guys at San Quentin, kind of pick their brain. And Yukari and I met, and I always say it's like, instant synergy fireworks like we felt like we were meant to do this together so the prison journalism project actually emerged from the car ride back from san quentin and uh, i had always been um, a business journalist covering technology uh, mostly for my career um, at reuters and the wall street journal and i really had nothing to do with um this world of incarceration, either as a journalist or as a person. And um, I had an opportunity uh, to teach at uh, at San Quentin State Prison, um, teaching guys who wanted to write for the newspaper that is there um, and training them in journalism. And so I had developed a textbook and a reader and, and really my first visit there was um, just, um, it, it appended my world. I. I um, I saw them for the first time. Uh, they just even walking through the yard made me uh, really look at um, and, and consider what I believed in uh, my my biases and and, and prejudices and uh, and then um, and talking to them and um, and and teaching them. I mean, they were some of the most eager, dedicated students I'd ever had. They had incredible stories that I really thought needed to be out that were more important than any of the stories that I'd written myself and I wasn't the right person to write them. And so um, I, you know, I, I became a journalist to tell stories and shed light about uh, communities and people that, that don't uh, get hurt from. And I really realized that, uh, that maybe my role here is, is, is as an editor and, and a supporter to help them shape those stories and, and train them uh, to um, in this in the tools that will allow them to tell the stories themselves. Now, how do um who will, who gets involved? How do how do people apply to uh, to become a part of the project? So we started our uh, publication in June of 2020 when the pandemic uh, in the throes of the pandemic, and there was very little information coming from. Uh, the incarcerated community, uh, what we were hearing was scary and we just really felt like uh, these voices needed to be part of the historical record. And so uh, Prison Legal News was kind enough to put a, a submissions ad out for us and um, that's really opened the floodgates. Uh, word gets around by mouth. We've had um, supporters and other outreach groups and prison education groups share our information. We get letters every day asking uh, for uh, submissions packets and um, and and at this point uh, we've had a, a few prison newspapers publish about us as well and so um, we are just swamped with uh, a wash with submissions every single day. I want to ask you about some of the projects you're doing, but I want to find out more about PJP in itself. So, I mean, tell me about your process. How does how does work get to you? I mean, what form is it in? What happens? 
Yeah, I mean, so the first thing we have to emphasize is that we're an all-volunteer-run organization. I mean, this is a a passion project of Yukari and mine, but apparently it's a passion project for a lot of people because we've just you know got this amazing group um, that helps us get our stories out. The process kind of involves. Um, this we send submission packets. People reach out to us. We send submissions packets with um, writing prompts and guidelines and style guides and some basic training materials. Especially you know if they haven't done any kind of writing before, just to sort of help them to you know to gather their thoughts. They send it in primarily through uh, regular snail mail, and it goes to a virtual mailbox where everything is scanned. Then you know we also have some writers that uh, send us submissions through um, the closed prison email, uh, which is like JPay or CoreLinks. So we get emails from them. But um, the primary means is the is mail. Then we have this like army of volunteers who on their own time will transcribe these handwritten uh, submissions. And then those handwritten submissions are turned into you know, Google Docs. And then we have first line editors that go in and kind of clean it up and help, you know, to sort of shape it, fix some of the grammatical errors, things like that, you know, pinpoint things that we may need to, to fact check and stuff like that. And then we have another layer of editors who tend to be people from the industry who've just really gotten excited about the project, people that have been journalists in some cases for decades, who um, go in and really give it much more of that um, professional, polished edit to make, to really bring out their stories. And then finally, Yukari and I will kind of go in and do... um, and another edit there, we have a copy editor who will go in and fix it up, and then it gets uh, published onto our site. But um, every one of our writers, when they do publish, we do re- we do send them their uh, pieces. And we do that, you know, we try to, as much as possible, remember that we still want to be a training program. We want to educate. So we explain some of the changes that have been made. So, and what we found is that when they receive their their polished copy back and they see the changes and they have the ability to ask us questions, that it changes. I mean, the writing just gets better and better and better. And there's so much talent behind bars that is just it hasn't had the opportunity to emerge. And what we're really finding is even just the raw talent before the polish comes in is so strong that once we're able to work with them and over time, you really do start to see the the writing get stronger and better. And then we do um, have a contributing writer program where the people that are submit the most and we see the talent, they move into that. So there's, there's various layers um, of how this works. And we also have a J school because we are a two part initiative. So we have the publication, but we also have um, PJP J school, which is a handout correspondent-based course, and we just launched our first class this summer with a cohort of 15 students from around the country. And then I just um, wanted to add that, you know, I think one of the ways that really differentiates us is that uh, we are, um, our intention is for our writer's work to be read outside of the echo chamber, outside of the people who already are supportive and work within the community. We want them to be read by people like our parents and our friends and and people who've had nothing to do with incarceration. Um, Obviously, you know, some of those a lot most of the readers will have some interest and 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 um sympathies with um all the the problems of our incarceration system but um you know we want them to reach policymakers and leaders and and also voters you know there are um everybody out here is is making decisions that are going to affect their lives and and we want their stories to reach them um, you mentioned a moment ago the PJP journalism school PJPJ school um tell me tell me about that 
Um, the PJPJ School is are the training educational arm of our um, organization. What we have is a faculty of about five individuals right now who are veteran journalists, veteran journalism educators, and together we create um, a curriculum. Our first course that we've launched this summer is a reported essay course. And we chose reported essay because what we found is most of our writers, as they begin their writing journey, write uh, personal essays and memoir pieces, which completely makes sense because they're coming from their own personal experiences. But we wanted to show them how adding additional reporting can make it a stronger piece that resonates with a far wider um, group of readers. It really sort of shows how large an issue is. And reporting, when, whether it comes to interviewing or being able to take information from a commissary list or just, you know, observation. That's what we wanted to really strengthen their stories with. We, um, it's a 10 module course every month. We send them um, handouts inside with assignments and they you know, slowly return the assignments back to us. It's prison. So it doesn't happen in a timely fashion. You know, we're still getting in some cases assignments from like the first handout or the second handout. And we're already about to send our fourth handout. So it's, it's, there's definitely a time lag, but what we're finding is that they're really applying the material that they're getting and the demand across the board from all of our writers. And we have over 360 writers right now. Um, they really want to be part of this. And so the first cohort was our pilot. And so it was um, we chose our uh students based on people that, you know, were contributing writers, were editors and writers of other prison newspapers, and just individuals that we saw had this real amazing talent that just needed to be honed. And so we wanted to work with them. So the next round, we're actually now, because of the demand, we're looking at launching our second cohort in the spring and are already starting to talk about advanced courses for our writers so that they can um, really take the skills and take it to the next level. Our goal is that everything they write, they learn and they write is for them to be able to reach the mainstream media. Our publication is, you know, amazing and we love it. We want it to be a launching ground for people to read, but we want this to get into the mainstream publications where people who, like Yukari said, who may have never thought they were interested, might happen to run across it in the Washington Post or in, you know, the New York Times and suddenly say, oh, you know what? I never thought about that. I want to learn more about mass incarceration. And that's our goal is to raise their writing to a standard where they can get published in places like that. This is a conversation with Yukari Kane and Shaheen Pasha, founders and co-executive directors of the Prison Journalism Project. We'll have more in a moment. You're listening to Prison Pipeline. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. What kinds of writing do, uh, do, uh, do, do your participants engage in? We get the gamut of, of writings. Uh, we get a lot of essays uh, around their personal experiences. Um, you know, they, it could be about some um, challenge that they're facing. We've gotten stories about mental health. Um, of course, we started with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so a lot of the stories that we've been getting are reports about uh, what the uh, what the conditions have been and, and what their experience has been. And, and um, a lot of them have been under long-term lockdown. So what is that like and how does that impact them? We also get stories about, uh, you know, we're starting to work with them to, to deliver timely stories. So when um, the stimulus checks came in, um, you know, how are they being spent? Who's getting them? Who's not? Um, stories like that. Uh, we just sent out a call for holiday stories, you know, at, around this time of the year. Um, we want to really intentionally put out stories about experiences and memories um, about holidays. We get a lot of memoir. 
we get uh, we get humorous stories. Um, one of our favorite stories is about uh, it's from a writer who tried to steal an onion from a kitchen and got caught. Um, I just edited an amazing story out of California uh, where it was about uh, commissary day and the race to the commissary line. And he wrote it like it was a NASCAR race using um, everybody's prison names. I mean, it was a terrific piece. And um, and we've also gotten some really um, serious thought-provoking stories too. One of our um, other favorites is about a murder that happened at San Quentin and how, um, how the pandemic and 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 um, unintentional consequences from the pandemic and and I won't say more about that because I want your your listeners to go and and read it. It's called the Murder in the Midnight Hour. Um, so it was a two part series. The first was about um, being woken up in the middle of the day knowing that something was wrong and trying to figure it out from inside the writer's cell. And then the second was an analysis about the reasons behind why that happened. He's um, Joe Garcia is a correspondent at San Quentin for us. And um, it's a terrific story. And so we really get everything. Um, and then finally, we get we take uh, poetry as well. We take poetry and we take illustrations. And the reasons why we do that is because we really want to create um, to figure out and explore what how journalism can be done with those two genres. And so a lot of our writers are poets, they write poetry. And so what does narrative poetry look like? What does journalistic poetry look like? Um, how does, what does poetry look as testimony? Um, and then the second um, illustration, um, obviously there are no cameras inside prison. And so the best way we could find out what things look like and and, show, and see is through illustrations, comics, um, uh, art. And, and so um, what does um, illustrated journalism look like? You know, how do you, how do you do journalism through art? Um, you know, those are, those are things that I think are possibilities and, and, and areas that we can, ex we can explore and only we can explore because of the particular circumstances of our writers and artists and poets. So now people would find that the, the story you just mentioned, for instance, I, I assume they would find on your website at prisonjournalismproject.org. Um, one of the projects, as I looking over your website, it's quite impressive, a lot of stuff. Um, tell me about PJPX Inside. Okay, we love this. <laughs> this is like, this is one of those things I think Yukari and I could talk about forever. PJP Inside is our um, first print uh, newspaper, print publication that we um, really created out of demand from our writers inside who wanted to see beyond just getting their stories back. They really wanted to see what other people were doing and they wanted a chance to really know what types of stories were out there from around the country. So we just launched our first issue and it's been sent to all of our writers. We've sent it to um, different prison education programs and it's it's just tremendous it's a teaching newspaper because as we always say you know education is one of our foundations so while this public while the newspaper also has the articles and the poetry and the art we have one section dedicated to the anatomy of a story where we basically take one of our writers pieces and we break it down with this you know journalistically this worked really really well in hindsight we would have had him or her do this additional reporting here this would have been this was a great quote and this why this is why this works this is why you know this fits there and that kind of um that kind of hands-on training that they're getting is really 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 helpful because it makes them look at their own pieces and kind of 
see, okay, that, that observation they really liked, I can do that observation. I can put that little detail in our store, in my story, because I'm seeing it. And so what we found already, I mean, this just came out about a week ago, and we're already getting uh, emails and just like messages left and right from our writers inside telling us how much they love it. They're asking us when our next issue is. We do have an editorial calendar, so there is a next issue planned, but you know, it's, it really just resonated with them. I, I teach an inside out class, which means, you know, I teach a class in a local facility with students at Penn State. And when I, we, I teach it through Zoom. And when I turn the Zoom on, all of my students were holding the newspaper and waving it around and were so excited and, and really wanted to talk about every story. Uh, one of the main stories in there is a story from Death Row. And it's, some, you know, basically how this, our death row writer came to terms with, giant, with dying in prison using the samurai philosophy. And that story that my, writer, our, my student told me was something he'd always wondered. And it was the first time he had had an opportunity to really understand from the mouth of the person who's in, on death row. So I think um, PJP Inside is a great tool. It's a great way to highlight our writer's works and just really help them to learn how to take their own stories to the next level. We're very proud of it. Yeah, like I say, looking over the website and in particular, just the, the, the basic concept of shifting the narrative. Um, tell me more about that. I mean, it goes back to wanting uh, ordinary people out there, people, you know, again, like people like our parents or our moms and dads and, and, and to see our writers and their communities uh, because, because there's literally a physical wall around our writers. I mean, they're, they're not seen, they're meant to not be seen. And, um, and one of the, um, the pieces of uh, data that we keep coming back to is that the, the U.S. is about 5% of the world's population and it holds about a quarter of the world's incarcerated population. Um, and, and there's clearly a broken system here. And I think that's generally understood. And so we want to, um, you know, put the stories of our writers' experiences, their lived experiences, and, and the reports from inside. I mean, journalistically, we're still figuring out what kind of news they can uh, contribute to out here in, in, in the discourse out here. Um, and that's been um, a fascinating and rewarding uh, work uh, that we do. But for example, um, when Derek Chauvin was convicted, and uh, we we asked our writers that we were connected with on JPay, uh, the prison email system, for uh, basically um, people on the street interviews. You know, what are people saying inside? How are people reacting to that? And from across the country, they sent in these reports, um, just comments and interviews of, of how people were taking it in. And what really surprised us and impressed us was that it wasn't just that they were asking their friends and the people, the incarcerated people around them. Some of them uh, interviewed correctional officers around them. Uh, a couple of them got interviews from people who were incarcerated who used to be law enforcement. Uh, and so we were really getting this nuance that wasn't, um, that wasn't being reported anywhere. And I think that when you see that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see a different aspect of, of people inside and how thoughtful they can be. Um, you know, one of the one of the common uh, reactions that we got that really surprised Shaheen and I was that um, there were writers um, and, and people around them who who were black and who have been subject to police brutality and said, you know, I Derek Chauvin's going to probably end up in solitary for his protection. 
And having done, gone through that myself, I wouldn't wish that on the worst, on my worst enemy. And I feel really sorry for him. So there was this compassion that, um, that we, that we weren't seeing, um, in, you know, in some corners of our country. And, um, and it was so thoughtful and, and, um, you know, I mean, when you, when you read that, how can you not, you, you just can't unsee them. And I just wanted to add, just in terms of the narrative, I think beyond that also, you know, we want our writers to be seen. What we found is, you know, traditionally, when it comes to the stories that are out there, it's, it's you know, they're amazing work right now from different journalists that are, are doing great work from, about mass incarceration. But the vast majority is really coming from the outside, right? And so when you have outside journalists that are basically parachuting in for a very short amount of time into a prison, and then they get to see what the administration allows them to see and interview people that with permission and then go back. And from that very limited view, that's what they're using to write their stories. And that those stories are what is being used to make policy. It becomes really an incomplete picture because the world is so different when the, when the lights go out on the tiers at night and the doors close. And what we wanted is for our writers to be able to fill, you know, connect those dots, fill in those blank spaces so that if you are making policy, if you are a voter, that you actually see what is happening 99% of the time beyond what the reporter is. So we really oftentimes compare this to, um, you know, there's 2.3 million people. That's the size of a small country. So how do you have a small country with no journalism from inside? Nobody on the ground telling you the real story from there and all information coming from foreign correspondents that parachute in for a few days and leave. For us, that's the equivalent. And so that we feel like that narrative has to be shifted in order to really be able to make any kind of meaningful change in the system. And then for people who are inside, um, how do they get in touch with you? Do they do, 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 do your address or how do they what do they do? Yes, uh, they can uh, write to us or have their families uh, or contacts write to us uh, via email at uh, uh, inquiries at prisonjournalismproject.org. Uh, we also have a, a mailing address that they can write to and request information. Um, and, um, and that's um, 2093 Philadelphia Pike, number 1054, Claymont, Delaware. One nine seven zero three, and uh, we will send them a submissions packet, and um, it includes four pages of writing prompts. And so, um, all you have to do is to pick one and start writing and submit to us. So now, and how do how would how do people in the public keep up with the work that you're doing? Like you know, social media, your website, that kind of thing. How do how can people follow and support your work? Yeah, we are on all of the the social media platforms. We're on um, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. You can remind me of the, the exact uh, Facebook, <laughs> Instagram. I totally my brain. So uh, Twitter is at Prison Journ J O U R N, and uh, Twitter and Facebook are uh, at Prison Journalism. Yeah. But I also wanted to just mention one more way that um, your listeners can follow us, and that is to uh, subscribe to our newsletter. 
uh, that is also prominently on our website. Uh, we we do two a month. One is um, kind of our best of series. We'll we'll um, talk about the work that uh, the best work that was that was published uh, on PJP, as well as any work that our writers have done outside. Uh, we also have little blurbs of um, what our writers are are reading or thinking about or watching these days that are kind of fun. And then um, the second newsletter is we call it uh, Inside Story Under the Hood, and so we share the stories behind the stories, and and we think that one of the the one of the aspects of our work that people are really fascinated by is how we do this. How are we considering questions of journalism? How are we facing our challenges? And we really want to be transparent about how the, the conversations that are taking place on the team, how our, uh, how we do something, our processes, and, um, and, the, and the reasons behind the decisions we've made, as well as how our writers are, are uh, reporting some of the stories that they're reporting on. That was my conversation with Kari Kane and Shaheen Pasha, founders and co-executive directors of the Prison Journalism Project. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Prison Pipeline. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Find this and other installments of Prison Pipeline on the web at kboo.fm slash prison pipeline. For now, this is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. Sometimes I find myself alone regretting some little foolish thing. Some simple thing that I have done Then just a soul's intentions I try so hard, so please